Good morning, Pastor Ian, and to everyone. Please turn to your Bible, Romans chapter 1. Today's scripture is taken from Romans chapter 1, verses 1 to 7. And this is what the Holy Scripture says. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was descended from David, according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power, according to the spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Cindy, for reading God's Word for us. Good morning, church. It's good to be with you as we launch into our 2019 study of God's Word. And you will see from this slide that before we begin, for those of you who are not at our QCM, for those of you who are not at our congregational meeting last Sunday, and we recognize the space was getting very tight, we want you to have a summary of who are the elders for 2019 and so you will see those names on the screen in front of you. Um, these are men who have agreed to serve. The number beside their name is their year of service. So that means three of us, Suhi, me, and Ollie, will need to be affirmed, reaffirmed at some time during this year of 2019 because we are in our third year of service. The other brothers will not be uh, renewed until uh, the coming years. Also, we are recommending to you the follow, following recommendations. Obviously, because we'll be voting on Suhi early, we're recommending unanimously from the, the ECL that we renew his term. You will affirm this on the 17th of February. And three other young men who have been walking with us for over a year on the elders team We've observed their lives, we've observed their ministry, and we would recommend them to you unanimously as well. You will notice Yeeks has an asterisk. That asterisk stands for born in Kuching. <laughs> no, not really. I mean, he really was born in Kuching, but, but we've put an asterisk by his name because though we believe he meets all of the biblical qualifications for elders, Though we've observed him, have been blessed by his ministry, by his discernment, by his biblical wisdom, he is going to be married to a pastor's daughter, and he has decided by God's providence to follow his new wife-to-be and to begin blessing that church 
in his ministry. So on his last Sunday, we're going to have him up here. We're going to pray for him, and we're going to bless him and send him out. It's good to see the Kennys here. I just noticed you. Bless you. Some of our missionaries who serve, serve uh, overseas. Am I allowed to say we're, we're kind of live streaming? In, you know who, where they serve. So it's good to have you guys with us. Thanks for, for being here. Uh, we're going to announce deacons next year, or next week, sorry. Uh, this, this is um, a manger scene, just in case you're, you're wondering. Uh, as we um, begin this study in Romans, I, I'm not sure that all of you know how churches begin. Some of you have been around for a long time, but you were probably not at the missionary strategy meeting as these two single missionary ladies decided, where will we begin to visit? How can we find children and begin to teach them God's word? Uh, in 1993, our family arrived in Malacca. It, Malacca wasn't our mission's first preference. They, they, they told us, look, it, even the government has not got big plans for Malacca because the North-South uh, North Expressway that is not yet built is not even planned to be close to Malacca. So it's a sleepy little town. Why, why would you go there? We just, we just felt like that was God's leadership. And so we arrived in this town uh, no other missionaries nearby. We just had to try and find our way. Um, we, we were tourists, not in a religious worker's pass. And, and so we just began to make friends in our taman. I, I played football with our, our sons. One, of, one is sitting right here. Uh, he was just a, like barely a toddler then, which means I looked awesome on the pitch when I was playing with him. And all the other kids would come out because, you know, only mad dogs and White people go out in the noonday sun. That's, that's the rumor. And so it kind of got a neighbor's attention. Sherry met wives, began to have tea. That's, that's how it worked until the first Christmas, 1993. We invited our friends to come and join us for, for a Christmas party. All of our neighbors, we, we just went door to door, say, hey, we're, we're new in the Tama. We want to invite you for a Christmas party. That's part of the Malaysian tradition. Whenever one religion is having a holidays, all the other religions go celebrate, right? We visit our Malay friends during Hari Raya, during Visak Day. We visit our Buddhist friends. We just did that. That's, that's, we Malaysians are that way. I don't know about Singaporeans. So we invited neighbors, and not all of them came, but we had 37 neighbors crammed into our house, which was a semi-D, not exactly crammed, but... but more cram for Canadians who need a lot of personal space. And, and so we were just trying to introduce them. Sherry, it was hard to find turkeys in those days, but she did find a frozen turkey imported from Saudi Arabia with no legs and no arms. I'm not sure. <laughs> I, I'm not sure why, but that's, that's the turkey we had, just turkey torso. And, and um, of course, a lot of our, our friends in Malacca had not really seen meat that quite so white and quite so dry and quite so tasteless, but they're being very polite, eating it. And, and then we were explaining to them all the symbols of Christmas. And, and I didn't have a plan to do that, but, but one of the, our neighbors took their children by the manger scene, which we had up on, a, on a, a little desk. And I overheard her telling her daughters, these are the gods of the Christian people. And, and so I said, oh no, these are just... Symbols to remind us of the story, how, how God came and pressed himself into the flesh of a little baby. And so I began to tell all this story. I shared my testimony. And then at the end of it, I said, now, if you're interested to know more about God's story in the Christian book, then every Friday we're, we're going to have barbecue. Couldn't technically have Bible study because we were tourists. 
So we're going to have barbecue. Tourists can have barbecue. And so we invite all 37 neighbors to come back and join us the following Friday. And the following Friday, just so you know that a whole lot of people in your house does not a church make, 37 people showed up for Christmas the next Friday. Eight people showed up. Uh, one Chinese man, one Indian man, and one Irish lady who was married to a Taoist who called herself recovering Christian. I used to be Christian, now I'm recovering from that. <laughs> so, and, and then there was five buntons. So that was eight. That, that's how we started. And, and, and I just asked them the very same reflection question you were asked by Caleb as we began our service. This is how the church, Straits Baptist, began in Malacca with this question. What is, what is one gift, one thing you've always wished you had but never have received so far in your life? And I asked them to write it down. And, and um, I, won't, I won't read the ones our boys wrote because they weren't tracking with their missionary father. I wasn't hoping for, I want to be bigger than my brother so I can beat him up. But the three other ones were also interesting. One was, I wish I had double eyelid. <laughs> one was, I wish my skin not so dark. And the third one was, I wish my Chinese husband worked less. Those were the three questions. That's how the church began. Not by telling people answers, but simply by asking questions. So, if you are signed up to E! News, you already know the background to the book of Romans. If you're not yet signed up to our weekly E! News, find Zugar or any one of our ushers and say, can you please sign me up to that weekly E! News so I can get some background of what's going on every single week. If you are signed up, you know the background of this has to do with emperors and problems that emperors don't want to deal with, like when there's civil unrest in Rome caused by one particular ethnic group who is unhappy with internal religious business, then that emperor, Claudius, kicked them all out of Rome. So Claudius had kicked all Jews out of Rome because they were having infighting in his mind. Infighting because there was one small sect of the Jews who claimed that the Messiah had already come and would have been awesome if the Jews hadn't have killed him. And they were always going to court trying to bring their own sect to judgment. And so Claudius decided, let's just kick them all out. At the writing of this letter, though, Paul was at Corinth and knew that there was a new emperor in charge because Claudius died of food poisoning, meaning someone poisoned his food. And there just happened to be his great-nephew, Nero, who was close by and available. And so Nero had become emperor. Nero wasn't really interested in civic affairs. He was more interested in entertaining himself with the arts and parties. And so the Jews who had been kicked out of Rome, including the Christian Jews, Christians who were ethnically Jews, began to trickle back into Rome and come back to their church. And when they came back to the church, they discovered, well, wait a minute. The church is now fully populated with people who are not us. 
First of all, they're not older and mature like us, and secondly, they're not Jews like us. And hearing this, while in Corinth, while establishing the church at Corinth, the Apostle Paul wrote this extraordinary letter that became for us the book of Romans. And his ambition was to help all of these Roman believers, both ethnically Jewish and ethnically not, both older and younger, to all agree on the content of the gospel and to all embrace the culture of the gospel. Because culture is actually the biggest thing that separates all of us from the cross. It's the biggest thing that separates your non-believing friends from the gospel. It's culture. And it's the last thing that even Christians give up. I know this because I've been in Asia for 25 years. And every once in a while, we, meaning me and some other Asian Christian believers, don't have agreement on what the Scripture says about how we should live. And the response I get is, oh, easy for you, Pastor, because you're Canadian. But we Chinese, not easy. There are some things in Canadian culture that are absolutely hospitable hostile to the gospel. There are some things in Singaporean culture that are absolutely hostile to the gospel. All of us have to choose which culture will we fully embrace. And so this letter is written, and it begins, unlike Western letters, by greeting those who are addressed, the addressees. It begins by the author of the letter identifying himself. The Gospel Messenger, verses 1 through 4. Here is Paul's name, Paul. And then he gives his credentials. And, and if you want to understand the measure by which the contemporary church has drifted from our ancient cousin, the first century church, it is in this right here. Paul a servant of Jesus Christ. When people come to grace, they want to know the leaders. Who are the leaders of the church? And we have different levels of leaders, don't we? And, and let's just talk about pastors because we have pastors and we have reverends, better yet, reverend doctor. And, and I want to be all appropriately humble when I'm with you and, and I say, please just call me Ian. Right? Just, just call me Ian because I, I don't want to act like I'm proud. But when I write people I don't know, I sign an Ian Bunton, lead pastor, Reverend Dr. Ian Bunton. That's how far we've drifted. Because Paul is actually boasting about his resume when he writes servant. And one more thing. Servant is not a perfect translation. It is a good translation for the 21st century, but doulos, that Greek word, doesn't actually mean servant. It means slave. Paul, writing to people he does not know, chooses not to boast about his resume. He chooses to boast about his most precious occupation. I am a slave of Christ Jesus. That's how you ought to know me. Because the Roman Empire, like every empire known to men, was driven, the economy was fueled by slavery. Fully 25% of the population of the Roman Empire were slaves. 
But Paul was a free man, a citizen of the empire of Rome, and preferred to be identified as a slave of Jesus Christ. But more than that, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Not only a slave, but a slave who was called to go. Because, you know, English is, is a language that's been made up by borrowing from a bunch of other languages, right? It's not really a language. It's just borrowed, patchwork, sewn together, and now it's become the dialect of the world. That word apostolos, from which we get our English word apostle, means one who is sent. The apostle Paul said, I'm a slave to Christ, sent for what? He has been set apart. We've had this conversation before, what this word set apart or sanctified. Sounds like a holy thing. Every one of us are wearing sanctified clothes right now. Means you have clothes that belong to you. We don't come to church and do a share thing with our clothes. Saying, you know, I've got this. It doesn't quite fit me. Oh, Ollie and I do that. But we're close. None of the rest of you do because your clothes are for yourself. Your toothbrush is holy. It's specifically set apart for you and for the brushing of your teeth. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying. I, this slave to Jesus Christ, has been sent, set apart, dedicated for the sake of the gospel. Now, all believers have an obligation to the gospel. All of us do. But there are some who have been set apart exclusively for the gospel. Not to be a part of it, but everything about us. He lived, he breathed, he found his purpose in the sharing of the gospel, which means, of course, the good news of God. That this God is for us, pursues us, loves us, this Paul is a slave set apart for that. How many of you, don't raise your hand, are slaves to Jesus Christ? You see, this is why servant is more palatable for us. Because servants can choose who we serve. Servants can decide to serve in this regard, work for this boss, or maybe if that boss is not paying enough, let's work for this other boss too. It's called moonlighting. I do a job in the afternoon. I do a job in the morning. I do several jobs. Jesus said you cannot serve God and what? Mammon. Because we are talking about slaves. Slaves don't choose who we work for. The boss chooses us. The Apostle Paul is saying, I have been providentially chosen to be a slave to Christ. And here is the good news. That he promised beforehand. Do you understand that, that promise is not the same as a prophecy? Prophecy is like a prediction. Weathermen get on the news channels and they make predictions. They never say, I promise you. Because when you promise, when you make a province, promise, you are obligating yourself to accomplish that. Weathermen can predict they have no power to create the weather. 
So they make no promises. They usually say, you know, 90% chance of thunderstorms. If there's no thunderstorms, they will say, see, 10%. I predicted it. Totally correct. God promised. He obligated his reputation to fulfilling that promise. That promise was spoken beforehand through his prophets in the scriptures, meaning the Old Testament, concerning his son Jesus, who descended from David according to the flesh, and what about this? Declared to be the Son of God in power. By what? By his resurrection from the dead. Do you know for 2,000 years, the world has tried to extinguish the light of this gospel. For 2,000 years, there have been hostilities towards this faith that is now known as Christianity. They have attempted restriction, destruction, persecution, even execution. But I want to help you out. If you just happen to have showed up here today and you're hostile to this good news, you would prefer your own way and you would prefer there would be a world without the, the hassle of Christianity, let me tell you how you can destroy the Christian faith. This, this is a free service. Prove the resurrection never happened. Just, just prove that. Because this is what distinguishes our faith from every other faith, we say he wasn't just a good teacher. While Jesus walked on, his, on this earth, his deity was veiled by his flesh. But when he was dead and buried for three days, when his corpse was rotting in that carved out hole, and the power of God raised the dead power, brought him to life, his deity was unveiled. Just find one of those disciples who at some point in history said, ah, just kidding, it was a lie, we stole the body. Just find one of those guys. Prove to me that a guy would die for a lie and we would be done. And Paul, the messenger, set apart for this good news, knew it. And that's why he wrote to the church at Corinth, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most pitied. We have joy. We have hope. Not because we have a dogma, a body of teaching left by a good teacher. We have joy and hope because of the resurrection because he was more than a man, fully man, and yet fully God. This is why we believe. You know, um, that is also why this final word puts everybody at risk. Now, several of you have asked me about the uh, more intense persecution going on towards Christian now in our regions. And um, our former mission board president, who's well known in the New Reform community, has uh, established this weekly meeting called Secret Church. And Secret Church is an effort to allow young, passionate American Christians 
who live at zero risk because of their faith to pretend to know what it's like to be a church in danger of persecution. So they gather in dark rooms with candles and they speak of the gospel as if they're in danger of dying because of it. And in actual fact, even in this great country where persecution is really intense right now, it is not illegal to be a Christian. It's legal. It is illegal, just like it is in many countries in our region, to practice your faith as a Christian. There's only one nation I know of in the world right now that is just as dangerous a nation to live in as Rome was in the first century. I'm not going to name it, but let's say it's on a peninsula kind of north of South Korea. Won't name it, though, because we worry about that stuff here. Because in that nation, Juje is a worship of the dear leader. And in the first century, only Caesar was Lord. To say Jesus Christ is to offend Jews who believe Jesus not Christ, because Christ means Messiah. To say Jesus Christ, our Lord, is to offend Jews and Romans, because only Caesar is Lord. That's treason. This is how radical this community had become in their day. They were absolutely enslaved to this one they called Jesus. Second, is that really the time? We're going to start talking faster, so listen quickly. Gospel obedience. The, through whom this... Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we received grace and apostleship. In this term, grace, the word charis means gift. Now, we know that grace also means, in a different context, unmerited favor, meaning I get what I don't deserve and I don't get what I really do deserve. That is also a meaning of grace. A grace is singular for gift. So charismata means many gifts, plural. Paul's saying, we have received this gift of apostleship to bring about, and here's an interesting concept, the obedience of faith. Have you noticed that in Scripture? This is repeated by Paul. It's also repeated by the author of Hebrews, the obedience of faith. We usually separate them, right, and put faith first. First we believe, then we learn how to obey. Right, right. First we have faith, and then we behave. But, but actually, when you're a slave, you have been found by the one who owns you and has purchased you, and obedience comes as I turn to him and willingly walk and are embraced by him, my Lord. That means you cannot talk your friend into becoming a Christian just because you're clever with words. I don't care how clever you are, none of us can talk a corpse out of the grave. If life comes, it's the giver of life who comes first and gives us the gift to turn to Him in obedience and then believe and then obey. And every day, wake up and turn to Him and believe, and then obey. This is the obedience of faith. 
Paul's assumption is these are connected, interconnected. Every day of every year of the life of a believer. It came uh, to my attention, Charles Spurgeon, with which many of us who are Baptist preachers really admire uh, Charles Spurgeon. He died when he was only 53. He, he would preach to 30,000 people in London without microphone. Imagine what his voice would have been like. Here's what he says about the obedience of faith. He says, the obedience that God accepts can never come out of a heart that thinks he is a liar. But it is brought about by the Spirit of the Lord who causes us to believe in the truth and the love and the grace of our God in Christ Jesus. That's why, Christian, you can never be self-righteous. Because your faith is not your religious achievement. It's a gift that he has given as he has come pursuing you. And, and here's the really good news. Why, why does he do this? Th this is why Israel has not and did not find the pleasure of God, not in the Old Testament and not in the 21st century. They could not find the pleasure of God. They find His discipline because when God came searching them out, when God chose this little people who were not even a nation, they began to believe it was about them. And that God's ambition was to make them great, to make them famous. And, and that's why the apostle, or sorry, the, the, the prophet Ezekiel had to speak to them under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and say, as it were, God's words to the people of Israel. It's not for your sake, O Israel, that I'm about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have consistently profaned among the nations. And I will vindicate the holiness of my name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when I vindicate my holiness among you in front of their eyes. You see, the beginning is him calling me to obedience and faith, to cleansing me. We, we bless the Lord for all of the newcomers who he has been bringing to grace, but do you think he desires to increase the fame of Grace Baptist Church brand? It's not for your sake, O oh Grace, that I have acted, but for the sake of my name among the nations. That is why he acts. That is why he calls. That is why he sets men and women apart for sending, attaches us to this Good news. He desires his name to be glorious, not pastoral strategies on church growth to be glorious, not church branding to be glorious, just simply his name. That is gospel obedience. And this is really good news. Including you. Because the Jews thought 
only us. And every great Christian nation tends to begin to think, whoa, God's shedding his face upon us. He loves us. We're special because he just blesses us. These Roman, non-Jewish, could have been Chinese diaspora, I don't know. Paul wrote them and said, this grace, this obedience of faith for the sake of his name among the nations, it includes you. Because he's called you. He shed his affection upon you. A Johnson Oatman was not a pastor. His father traveled in all the churches in New England singing, had a beautiful singing voice. And, and they actually just worked as lay people. They had a trading, small trading business. They called it mercantile, but it wasn't big. It was just this small shop where people would come and trade the wheat that they'd grown for sugar or salt. That was the business his father ran. He helped his dad in his shop. And he loved to sing. And when he sang, he imagined he sang just like his father. The problem is he didn't inherit his father's voice. He had his mother's voice. And so when he would sing out the joy of his salvation, people would say, please, brother, you're making a bit of noise there. It's hard for me to focus. It's all the same note, actually. And, and so he felt somewhat discouraged that he, he couldn't go with his father and sing at these big revivals until finally he decided to write down his joy. And in his lifetime, Johnson Oatman Jr. wrote over 5,000 hymns, including many that I heard my mom singing when I grew up. Count your blessings, name them one by one, Count your blessings, see what God has done. And this one, one of my favorites, I'm so happy in Christ today that I go singing along the way. Sorry, but I got this joy. Yes, I am so happy to know and say what? Jesus included me too. This is good news. Good news is not just for pastors. It's not just for people who stand on a platform. He included you. He included me. Yes, Jesus included me. When the Lord said, whosoever, he included me. And the Apostle Paul, this messenger of the gospel, wanted to make sure that young and old, Jewish and non-Jewish, knew this good news. He included you. You've been called to belong to Jesus Christ. So finally, here's a gospel messenger and gospel obedience. Finally, let's talk about gospel gifts. Um, I, I have this fear that some of you may have heard this story before. As he writes to those who are loved by God and called to be saints, meaning called to be set apart for God and for his purposes. And then these gifts. Uh, if you've heard this story before, it is so true, you need to hear it again. When, when Sherry and I were living in Canada, I was teaching at a seminary on the cold side of the Rocky Mountains. And uh, it was a little town. When my brother first moved there, there was only 10,000 people in the town. By the time we moved there, there was about 34,000 people. And as you probably have heard, Sherry has a problem with my driving. 
And often while I'm driving, she's giving me a prophetic word, which is one day you are going to get caught and you will cost us so much money. I hear that often. So far, I'm okay in Singapore. So far. But, but she watches the calendar all the time in case we get a summons, and she checks the calendar immediately just to see. So, so this is a bit of a stress, just, giving, just sharing life with you. Um, we have stress when we, when we drive. And so one particular day, because I worked at the seminary, she worked at the bank in the city, and uh, I had agreed to send her to the bank that day, but I got caught up doing grading, and, and I lost track of time. So I looked at my watch. I realized I'm late, so I dashed out of the office, left my jacket hanging over my chair, ran, picked her up, and, and we get on the highway, and, and the highway is 90 kilometers per hour, kind of like Singapore, until it goes by this little town where we lived, and then it drops down to 50 kilometers and the way I look at that, when it hits 50 kilometers, I've got to speed up so I can get to where it's a proper speed. And, and as I'm going through that little stretch, I suddenly see a Royal Canadian Mounted Policeman coming the opposite way, and I know, I know I'm done. So I just go ahead and pull over. And while I'm seeing this in my rear view, I'm hearing Sherry, see? I told you. So, you know, just, just in case you ever travel in Canada, Canadian police are really polite. Uh, good morning, sir. Uh, we're in a bit of a hurry today, are we? And also condescending. And I said, yeah, yeah, you, yeah, you got me, because I knew I was going 80 and he's, and, and he, in, a, in, in a 50. He said, got to see your license. And I reached for my jacket, which was in my office. So I said, I, I don't have my license, he, and he started writing. I didn't know what he was doing, but he's a white guy, so he needed a pencil and a pad to do math. So, so he wrote down the, the charge, and then he said, and I notice you're not wearing your seatbelt. Now, I know that it, that's a $100 fine because my son had already got one of those, so that, so that got added up. <laughs> And they said, and you were going 84 in a 50. Now, I was going 80, but who's to argue when it's 50, right? So, so I didn't say anything. I said, yeah, yeah, it really got me. I was, I was really speeding. And he said, so far, we're up at $850. And I looked, glanced over at Sherry. She was so happy just sitting there. <laughs> just really, really happy. And he said, well, can I have your name? I said, yeah, my name's Ian Bunton. And he said, okay. And then he said this. I tell you what, you uh, do a U-turn, go back to your office, get your license, and we'll call it even. That's grace, right? And of course, my supportive wife, her response was to bang on the dash and shout, that is so not fair! <laughs> <laughs> because grace is not fair, right? I didn't get what I deserved. I deserved that $850 summons. I didn't have my license. I wasn't wearing my seatbelt. And I was speeding in that small Alberta, Canada town. I deserved it and didn't get it. That's grace. Where can you get that? You see, the Apostle Paul is writing these believers about a gift they can get nowhere else but God. Where else do you get mercy in the world? 
Where else do you earn what you didn't earn? Where you don't get the justice you deserve. You get it from God our Father through Jesus Christ. And then there's this, and peace. So I learned a lot in Taiwan. We moved there in 1991. And we had, uh, I was just telling actually Yanadi that we had an old Buddhist ama who would come to our house every morning at 7, watch Brennan, who at that time was not quite walking. So she would watch him from 7 until noon. And, and then um, several months, we were learning more and more language. She didn't speak much English, so that was helpful for our language. And, and then at one point in the year, I just noticed she wasn't going home at noon. We'd get back from language study. She was still sitting there, right? Just sitting in the living room. And um, I, I would just tell her, well, it's okay. You rest there for a bit. I know he's a bit exhausting. Boys. And, and so she sat there. So 1 p.m. still sitting there. 7 p.m. still sitting there. So I was worried, not for her, but for the bill. <laughs> and so I, I asked her, why, why are you staying? Are, are you okay? Are, why, why are you staying? She said, Ghost month. And then she proceeded to tell me this long story about how seven years ago during ghost month, she insisted on going work, was waiting for the bus, and the spirit of her dead husband pushed her in front. I, I don't know. I'm from Canada. And she even the following day showed me the police report. A, a bystander said, oh, she just suddenly flopped in front of the bus. But I don't know. So, so she said, but, but ghost month, afraid. Hi, Pala. But then she did this, but, but here, I feel peace. So you know what I did? I stepped out of our house, stepped back in, and you know what I felt? Nothing. <laughs> just, just didn't feel anything. And then I learned our house actually bad feng shui. Also didn't feel that. And see, I realized it's because my parents made the sacrifice of turning. They first embraced the obedience of faith. I grew up in the sanctuary of God's affection. I never knew anxiety. Any address was a good address for us. Any time of the year was fine for us. Every day was a day of blessing because our family existed to be a platform for God's glory. I never really understood the great gifts of the gospel. By the way, we're going a bit late. You, you, you know why that police officer, you know, showed mercy on me? You think it was because, you know, I'm a funny guy? Policemen don't have a sense of humor. You think it's because I gave a convincing argument? Do you think he felt sorry for me because I was sitting next to a superpower who was shouting, this is so not fair? <laughs> I, I, actually, here, here's the real reason why he showed mercy on me. I have a brother. His name is Hamish. Remember I said Hamish moved to that town when it was only 10,000? He had been pastoring the Baptist church in that town for nine and a half years. Everyone knew my brother Hamish. Not only was he a volunteer fireman, he was a chaplain for the police. Every time I said my name, Bunton, people were kind to me. 
because they thought I was like my brother. They showed grace and mercy, not because of me. They had no idea, no idea how different these two men could be. They had no idea he was day to my night. Right? They, they, they just thought he belongs to Hamish, Pastor Hamish. You, you, you know why we're so mercy? It's not because we're awesome. It's because on that cross, he didn't pay just the price for our sin. Remember, he changed our status from strangers and aliens to sons and daughters, from hostility to family. We have grace because we belong to him. So as we close, I want to invite you to bow with me for just a few moments. And, and very quickly, let me, let me just ask you this same question. I don't know where you're at, but I know you're here. And I know you're not here by accident. I know you are here because this loving God of good news has pursued you. While you were in your mother's womb, he chose to love you. So is there something you've always wanted, some gift you've always needed that even to this point in your life, despite all your effort, you don't have it? Grace and peace he offers, but that's not the great gift. The gift of the gospel is God, your Father, the one who put the universe together, the one who organized time and space and this little postage stamp of geography so you could hear that he is here and he loves you and he's for you. This good news, he and through him comes grace instead of judgment, comes mercy instead of justice, comes peace instead of anxiety. If he is here, it is not my words that are convincing. It is that by his spirit, he has come close to you in ways no pastor can. That sense, that tug you feel is the arm of the Almighty saying, I include you. Would you today, in faith, turn in obedience to him, fully and completely, chosen by him, embraced by him, for love, joy, and peace from this day forever? If you sense today that you would like to turn to him, you can simply right where you sit,
call out in your own heart, God, it doesn't make sense to me right now, but I am feeling that you would have me right now turn to you and embrace you, the God of all creation, who could have included anyone, and yet today you include me. Father God, we bless you for these holy moments where we could come aside undistracted to hear a word from you. And I pray, O oh God, that you would equip these in your midst to turn to you today, to be embraced fully by a loving God who equips us to be daily platforms for your glory. Oh God, for the sake of your name in Singapore, will you draw us to yourself? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.